uh, hoping that the dog is, is going to stay as quiet as he is at the moment. Welcome to episode 83 of Hand of Pod. moved away so that he doesn't have to be quiet anymore I'm going to um, sit on my bed to be honest yes fingers <laughs> crossed um, Nestor is here as well but he's curled up like a draft excluder in the corner albeit a draft excluder that's not uh, at the bottom of he's the door he's an excellent draft excluder actually he sits in front of the front door in winter and keeps all the heat in. it looks like a brilliant one but he wouldn't be very effective sat against a wall um, oh zombie's back ok I'm Sam Kelly you've already heard uh, English Dan's voice say hello English Dan. Um Joel Richards is here as well. Hello. A zombie tries to lick my face. And um, we're joined by a special guest who has just discovered that he's got dog cancer, potentially. Um, commiserations, uh, Jonathan Wilson. Hello. Uh, is there any magazine or anything in particular that you would like us to plug this time, John? Or? Yes. Um, how long we got? Um, uh, my book on the uh, history of goalkeeping, uh, The Outsider, is out in the first week of December. That's why it'll be a lovely Christmas present. <laughs> As of course with Blizzard, uh, which you can get through the website www.theblizzard.co.uk. I think you've done this before, this, this plugging things on podcast business. Um, the main uh, topic of conversation this week is... Well, actually, I don't know, because since Sunday evening's football finished, I've not barely, at least, been, been on the internet. Um, I've not had any television. Uh, there was a big storm on Sunday night and it, it blew the whatever transformer or something in my block and has left my building and the traffic lights right next to my building rather more dangerously uh, without any electricity so I feel completely cut off from the world and I'm going to be like the the uh, normal hand of pod listener who doesn't hear anything about Argentine football until they listen to this podcast not knowing what's going on guys they still have newspapers and stuff and yeah, but I'm, they've all sold out. Plus, plus, also, on Monday, there weren't any newspapers for, for other reasons. Ah, um, of course. But they, they've generally sold out by the time I get out of bed, so I don't really know what's happening. Um, Obviously, the alarm clock doesn't work because you haven't had enough power. No, I just don't bother setting it. Um, gentlemen, what has happened in the last two and a half, three days in the world of Argentine football? Well, there's been lots of false rumours about Thiago Messi being born, mm. which is obviously a very important story, um, and it was very important, even more important than it already is, because it very nearly was born on Diego Maradona's birthday. This was which, Tuesday, right? Uh, this was Tuesday, yes, indeed, which would have just been far too exciting <laughs> for anyone to cope with, So, um, but he wasn't, so that's good news for everybody. Uh, while I get licked by the dog. That's my contribution. Yeah. And what else did we have? We had, well, we had Maradona's birthday as well. Maradona's birthday, of course, and he got praise from all across the world of football, even, you know, from Brazilians like Neymar were, were saying he's, you know, he might be Argentine, and he, but he played pretty well, yeah. On the subject of Maradona, John, you were in um, El Grafico's uh, archive today or yesterday? Yes, and, you, and, and you were telling us something about the first picture that people have of Maradona on his on his debut. Yeah, apparently a couple of a couple of months ago they they were looking for you know a new angle on Maradona, which I guess is incredibly difficult to find. 
and on that on his debut he, uh, he nutmegged a player I, I think his name was Cabrera I could be wrong about that so he thought we'll, we'll find this bloke and we'll interview him so they went to their, their files and the El Grafico archive is, is fantastic it's not digitised at all it's all just folders and envelopes yeah, it's kind of you know, a proper you know, like you'd imagine in kind of catacombs in Rome or something just papers everywhere and so they, they looked up this bloke Cabrera and in his, in his file there was a photograph of this nutmeg so Maradona on his debut, not making Cabrera, and it had been filed under Cabrera, not under Maradona, because Maradona wasn't famous. So he found this photograph that hadn't been seen in, I don't know, 30, 35 years, whatever. It just underlines why Argentines tend to celebrate famous people on the day of their death rather than the day of their birth, because, as Argentines put it, they weren't famous when they were born. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that archive is a staggering resource. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's just... Well, it used to be weekly. Right? Yeah, now, so now it's four, monthly. Four so and something issues. Yeah. Um, and, but it's not, ju- it's, it's, it's not just the articles from El Grafico that are there. It's, it's other things people thought were interesting cut out in newspapers. Mm. And, um, I was looking through some of their tactical stuff. They've got uh, reports but, uh, from like, the early 60s mm. uh, from uh, Jose Amico. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's absolute treasure trove. Nobody really knows what's there. Fascinating stuff. Um, We've had uh, several uh, big matches over the weekend, of course, which, which we're going to be looking back on. The, the first one, we may as well get it out of the way right away, uh, was, without a doubt, the most disappointing match of the weekend. Um, the, the, the one with the most unjust result as well, I thought, as, as a River Plate fan. Um, the Super Classico, the, the return of River Boca to the first division after a year and a half or 17 months or something like that um, without being played competitively which ended 2-2 um, after River had ok I'm going to step back because I'm afraid of sounding biased yet again here um, guys what was a fair result was, was, was the draw fair I thought for me both teams you know I'd like to say they were they were far from their best but I think more than anything the game reflected the fact that they're not you know they're far from being the bigger, well, mm. the best teams quality-wise in Argentina. Now they played pretty much like two mid-table teams who needed every point. It was very, you know, there was a lot of energy, a lot of lot of commitment, obviously, but very little quality. There was you could probably count on on one hand, you know, really flying moves of uh, five, six passes or more that just weren't happening. Yeah, River had a couple, didn't they? But I mean, yeah. just a couple. And Boca had none. No, actually, actually I mean, no. it was. Oh, until the equaliser. Yes. The equaliser yeah, was a really, yeah. really good goal, yeah, but yeah. there'd been zero quality mm. from Boca yeah. before that. Mm. Um, it was strange that because that was already, by the time Falcioni had been sent off, he didn't celebrate, and you just kind of wonder quite what's going on there with, in terms of, you know, how the players, um, why they decided, you know, to, to get behind. Obviously, they're doing the coach a favour by by scoring a late equaliser in, in Super Classico in those kind of circumstances. But, um, yeah, it was, it was curious that they didn't turn it on a little bit earlier, really. The I think actually River, you saw River's lack of quality, yeah, they, they scored in 90 seconds, the stage was going berserk, Boca had constantly passed over that stage, and River could have killed the game in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, we, should, yeah, we should remember as well though that you know, River lost two players in the first 15 minutes. That's right? true. That's, it yeah, wasn't the yeah, two yeah. subs, uh, it was well, Ram- 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 Ramiro, 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 Ramiro,
Yeah. Martin Aguirre, Martin. yeah. And both were... Uh, well, ligaments. Ramiro Funes Mori was challenging with Orion for the ball very early on. So early on, I, I didn't notice him going off... Uh, no, I don't think anybody did. I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I on Twitter, but... And yeah. Aguirre, when, I, when I saw the replay, I sort of vaguely remembered the instant, but yeah. it hadn't occurred to me he hadn't come back on after that. So yeah. it was nothing. He just jumped at the keeper and fell off. Yeah. Yeah. Although Sam, you'll be pleased this time. Almeida had a defender on the bench. Got yeah, to, well, his beard is, came on. <laughs> the bloody good thing so, he did. He's, yeah. he's done it for the last two weeks now in a row, so yeah. I think he's learned something. Yeah, yeah and I saw something in the in the build-up to the game actually, which I thought you might like, Sam. It was a special on uh, on Goal.com about kind of the best two 11s the teams could put out if their European players had stayed in Argentina, mm. and it's a fantastic uh, River team, like. With some really, really quality players. Oh, I think I saw this after the game. Yeah. Had, and in that team as well, Falcao, Iguain, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Falcao, Iguain, Lamela, but Alessi uh, Sanchez, of course. But in that team as well, there also wasn't a defender on the bench. And it just reminded me of this continual gripe. Maybe River just don't create. It's, it's the difference in philosophies between the two clubs. Obviously. Yeah, because I think Boca had like four defenders on the bench or something like that. Um, we apologise, by the way, for the fairground ride happening in the background. Um, it's just impossible to get. English Dan's 12 year old neighbours to shut the hell up um, it's about 5 <laughs> sorry you are yeah, whatever. I don't know I was, I was still acting like that when I was 12 so. um, I think that says more about you Sam yes very probably um, but the experience of the Super Classico uh, two of us were the, myself and English Dan were not there uh, John and John were John was it your first Super Classico second second first one I done one hotel ok um, how did you find it the oh, it's great. I mean, I, I think atmosphere-wise, it, it is the, the best game in the world. Um, then, then the game starts, and it's not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you look around the stadium. Well, this one, I thought, considering it was a Super Classico, I'm watching on television. At least, I thought it was a relatively entertaining match. The second half, particularly. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was Again, okay. But bearing in mind it was a Super Classico, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot mm, in the last yeah. few years that have just been unwatchable. And, and this one was not unwatchable. It, it was. It wasn't brilliant. Well, I think it's been that, yeah, by virtue of being a, being a super classico, it is watchable. You know, it can be the worst football in the world, and it's still watchable just because you, you know the importance mm. of it. Um, but I mean, and, and yeah, you often see good teams cancelling each other out. Uh, but <laughs> not this was not so good. Not the case. Really, really good teams cancelling each other out. Yeah. Um, but you know, you. you, you Games about kick off, you look around and it's like you know, 60 odd thousand people all going berserk, ticker tape everywhere, mm. flares going off. Yeah. The, the pitch looks fantastic. Mm. Um, the aesthetic of it is, is glorious. Yeah. But then and, the- and, and you think, actually, this, this should be much bigger than it is. You know, it shouldn't be a great game between two great sides. And it's a, it's a sign of grotesque economic mismanagement that it isn't. Another possible sign of this was I went to a stand up comedy night last night in San Telmo because I have no electricity at home at the moment uh, so I need something to do and it was in English and uh, one of the, the, the women who was doing the, the emceeing for it had been to the Super Classico and had picked up some of the ticker tape and taken it home with her and she read some of it out because it's, it's all cut from magazines and newspapers and, and whatnot and the bit that she, she picked up which was the reason that she'd chosen to, to read it out was that it was quite visibly taken from a secondary school English um, <laughs> yeah, exercise book yeah. It had like make sentences using the second subjunctive <laughs> and whatnot, and then a series of spaces to write your answers. And you kind of think, you know, I was, I was, she didn't know anything about. Uh, I, I sort of know her in passing. The, the girl who was, who was talking, and she didn't know anything about football. And I was sort of sitting at the back of the audience, thinking that almost a comment on <laughs> how far the Super Classico has slid in terms of the the importance of both sides to Argentine football. 
other than than in the press and in in, in the fans' uh, eyes, at least. Uh, it was it was a nice sort of little comment on it. Are you handed uh, that leaflet before before the game. Yeah, you? well, it was um, I I got very lucky because I, I was putting together a radio piece and it obviously relies on finding English speakers and I was very lucky to find an English uh, speaking <coughs> supporter who just as I was doing the interview um, there were either firecrackers or bullets flying just just next to us um, and and actually the producer who was listening over the piece uh, just today said um, he said oh, brilliant you got the interview during while bullets were being fired amazing so uh, so he's very excited but um and uh, and yeah, just at the there's the the position where away fans always they route into the Monumentales on Libertador and and Monroy or, Quint, or Quintero, um, which is just it's at the same juncture. And they always cross, and it's always a bit of a nightmare. And there's always very few police, and there were a lot of problems down there. And Boca fans all, all arriving, and River Plate fans who have to go into the um, into the San Martin have to walk around that that way, so they yeah. they cross. So there was a lot of tension, loads of flying rocks and bottles and, and all the rest of it, and and then that's right. Well, my, my way through the uh, after I got to the first uh, checkpoint, um, I was handed this flyer for uh, a law firm specialising in, in injuries sustained at, at games, and it kind of says, oh, you know, before, you yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> rubber bullets, real bullets, <laughs> rocks, bottles, fractures, uh, av- avalanches, you know, we're your, we're your law firm, and uh, yeah, it was kind of, and it, it is, it is a game, as I think most games are in Argentina, but this one particularly where. That's particularly likely for that something's going to happen, and indeed it did because there were some dreadful scenes up in the Boca stand. Outside, there were um, a lot, many incidents as well, both before the game and on the way out. Yeah, this is, I wanted to ask you about this as well because, of course, one of the things with the Super Classico, and just it just occurred to me while you were talking for no particular reason, Joel, that I don't think I mentioned the scoreline yet. It was two-two in the end. Um, but one of the things that probably the thing that everybody talks about most in the Super Classico is the atmosphere and what happens in the stands far more than on the pitch. Um, we had the second half uh, delayed by 10 minutes. Uh, Julio Cesar Falcioni, the Boca manager, as you mentioned earlier, Joel, was sent off at half time um, for leading his team out 26 seconds late. And the second half was then delayed by 10 minutes after that um, because a bunch of River fans uh, floated, showing their, their admiration for Pink Floyd, floated a huge inflatable pick over the Boca fans, which was wearing a Boca shirt. It's, it's world Apparently class. Apparently started chanting the, the Riquelme, 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 Riquelme. Well, they, they, yeah, they christened it Riquelme. Uh, the second it went up, but then it's just made the, the loudspeaker going, which usually is used for you know for, for saying the substitute or, or the teams before the uh, before the match going. Attention, get back in el chancho. I've heard some fantastic ones actually over the loudspeakers. My favourite one probably was. Would the people that are sitting on the roof of the stadium please get down because you're <laughs> yeah. in quite a lot of danger? You know these kids that like, they sit on the perimeter walls. They, you know, about. Like six stories up yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Well, they were doing that obviously throughout, yeah. throughout this game. So that, that was were. that was the let's say the most or at least most visible, light-hearted moment in terms of the the atmosphere. Mm. Yeah. Um, so then during during the second half, after River went two 0 up um, through a, a really fantastic goal from Rodrigo Mora, the Uruguayan is very quickly playing his way into the hearts of many River fans. Um, there was. I mean, there, there were seriously ugly scenes in, in the Boca stand, weren't there? Which the TV cameras very briefly focused on, which we've all seen, even I've seen without my electricity from going to other people's houses in the meantime. I've seen a lot of on the TV news uh, more recently with, with security people being hospitalised. Um. And it sounds horrific. Like, I read an interview today in Olé with um, 
with a couple of the the stewards who were kind of singled out, and they really did get a kick in in the in the bocker end, and it's just horrible. Like from what it seems, and obviously you know you're getting one side of this, and you know it's their version, so. You, but it sounds like they were completely hung out to dry by the police. There were supposedly, I think, what, 1,500 officers on, officers on duty, but they were saying, you know, there was nowhere near that and that the police at the Bocker end at the entrances were, you know, taking 100 pesos of time for fans to just jump over the turnstiles and go in. They let, I think, about 50 Bocca Barra, including Mara Martin, a name yeah. we've mentioned quite a few times, like the leader. Yeah, he was a and a half time. He was on kind of the list of banned people, but he went in basically... By virtue of changing the colour of his cap, he was uh, filmed in the in the build-up to the game wearing, I think, a yellow cap, and then they show him in the stands later with a blue one. And so in the stands, you know, these these security guys, they're they're kind of people from low-income houses. I think these guys were from the the southern part of the province, you know, places like that. North Shenandoah, these kind of like working-class neighbourhoods. They were paid 100 pesos for their day's work, mm. and apparently even the ones that ended up in hospital. Because a lot of them had pretty serious injuries, we saw them getting thrown down the steps. People, you know, were taken a beating, then managed to seek refuge in the tunnel of uh, stands, and then they were dragged back out to, uh, to be set up on again. And these guys had to go on the same day from hospital from the hospital back to I don't know their headquarters or the stands to pick up their hundred pesos, and they weren't they couldn't charge if they'd lost kind of the wristband their identifying wristband. And they were saying, you know, well, do you really think? holding on to my wristband was my biggest priority when I had 50 guys kicking me in the head yeah. it was just unbelievable like, well, I think it was a real just shows again the police here well this is the thing they it's, always they go from one extreme to the other they're like either going heavy handed and cause violence or they just sit back and, but there's, and there's, allow it there's no I think they're always heavy handed to be honest but there's always a big song and dance about how many police uh, there are for for classicos in and particular again, yeah. and you know 1200 1400 1500 it's, it's always there or thereabouts but but for one reason or another, they're never in the numbers in the one area where you know no. uh, that there's going to be problems. Yeah. As I was saying earlier, Libertador and Monroy, just where the two uh, sets of fans always clash going into the one like that. Um, I mean, there were a few coppers around, and, and you know, I saw batons being used pretty liberally um, in terms of like beating uh, River Plate supporters who were just loitering. But I mean, there weren't nearly enough uh, police around. Then the other side of this is that there was a um, Clarín quote. Uh, uh, they just called him as a high police ranking officer. They didn't really, they didn't obviously didn't name him, but he said, um, "We're not allowed to shoot. <coughs> so what can we do?" Of course, yeah. So you know, the police said, "Well, well we can't, we can't do anything about this." If I mean, they have got a point. If you've got thousands of, of sports coming, and they just want to, and as apparently Boca fans did, get off on. on off the bus several times in Libertador and just smashing cars left, right, and centre. Mm. But um, but yeah, the, the security guards, as you said, I think were pretty much left alone yeah. up there. In the Especially in the stands. Yeah. It like they were right in the middle while the police... Because I don't know if we've ever really explained the situation, especially in away terraces. They leave the whole away end untouched and then you sort of have policemen, say kind of a line of 20 on each on each perimeter, essentially, I guess, to stop them climbing the walls and getting to the, the other fans. Because that's, mm. that's essentially what they're there for, I think, the police... It's not to police the away stand, it's to make sure they don't get into the home stand. To separate them, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is just ineffective. Like, you have 5,000 people all in the middle, you know, the game was, it wasn't oversold, but I think the estimates were 3,500 tickets were sold and there was about 6,000 Boca fans in the, in the away end, so they just were ineffective and they left these poor guys, you know, who 
basically work day to day with the security companies to take the to take the beatings, and it's it's disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. Absolutely. Um, what else is there to say uh, in terms of the, the, the football? side of things at least it's, it's the first say, thing Jordan didn't really do either team a favour no exactly the situation was that Boca left happier obviously because they they drew it, the last minute but still it leaves um, Boca a, a sixth in the Torneo Inicial and River a ninth um, obviously still three points apart having been three points apart before the match uh, in terms of the relegation table as well it leaves River still I mean for the moment fairly comfortable but obviously that can change very quickly since they've only got one season's results behind them um and yeah, I mean, apart from that, Leandro Samosa, I think, had probably his best game I've seen for Boca in quite some time, albeit he still wasn't spectacular himself. Well, one interesting um, thing to come out of that is the David Trezeguet situation. Yeah. Is what you were going to say, John? Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, you explained it, you probably know a little bit more than me, but. No, no, I was going to say that the, there was a lot. Will it be his last game? Will he carry on? Well, before I mean, look, the Clasico, everyone was saying that he's definitely going to get. Um, he's definitely going to have an operation on his knee, which he needs. Mm. Um, now he's saying that he's not, that he's going to wait on a, a, a short while, but it really depends on, there's a lot of speculation that he's going to leave River in January, yeah. uh, even though he's still got another two years on his contract. I, I saw a couple of things in, in on television through cafe windows as I was walking to the game, uh, sorry, as I, as I was walking here this evening, um, both of which, funnily enough, were to do with Trestigay. The first saying that he's now a doubt for the match this weekend against All Boys, um, in which former River Plate midfielder Oscar Almada is going to be back from suspension for All Boys, by the way. And the other one, um, which apparently some, uh, one of River's directors has said that Trezeguet will still be playing for River in 2013. So it's going to be yeah, they interesting to see how... I mean, I think the main thing here is that it's, it's a real shame for Trezeguet when you think that he's, um, I mean, he's one, of, you know, one of the top European strikers the last, what, 10, 15 years. Uh, yeah. he, he, you know, a big personal decision to come back to River Plate. He was really he important. He brought his family over for the game. It's, he brought his family over. I mean, he, and what he did last year in, was, in the second division right? to, bring, to bring, to help River Plate go up was, was, was crucial. And so this game for him was, was what coming back to River Plate was about. And, and it's his fault that the equaliser was scored, wasn't it, really? <laughs> he said with a smile on his face. But, well, yeah. River had an attack in stoppage time. The ball was crossed to Trezeguet on the edge on the edge of the box, and rather than taking a touch or, or trying to hold on to it, Trezeguet tried a first time volley, which hit one of Boca's players in the chest, and that was from the that was the start of the counter attack that Boca ended up equalising from. So I, I don't, of course, mean that Trezeguet is actually to blame. But the thing is, with this, I mean, Christian Fabiani came out this week saying. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you think I look at you know they they had a go at me at River. Like, I, I've done more. I did more at River playing the first first division than, than Trezeguet has done. And this is what I was getting at. I think it's a real shame that River haven't set up this year with a team or at least with one player playing off the off the front, mm. one or two strikers who can create stuff because Trezeguet's com- completely relied on this and he hasn't had any service. And people are saying, "Oh, Trezeguet's yeah. failed now in first division." Which that, is no. obviously completely ridiculous. Manuel Lanzini's part in the Super Classico after playing 90 minutes against uh, Quilmes the previous weekend Manuel Lanzini's part in the Super Classico was restricted to an, uh, another 90 minutes but for the reserves um, I mean what's our made of thinking really what? There's, obviously there's always more going on behind the scenes there's, there's talk of perhaps a slight rift between Lanzini and, and Almeida we've spoken about this before that Lanzini's always been played out of position this year in the first division since he, since he came back from that he's been played out as position yeah exactly, exactly. And, I mean he has been but, but still if you're a 19 year old at a club like River Plate it's not really your place to 
to go out and, uh, and to question the coach exactly but um, but again just going back to the Trezeguet thing I think it's a real shame that you know people were saying that in the end of it people were saying he should have been taken off instead of Rodrigo Mora um, and they were criticising Almeida for that yeah. decision Mora since said that he was basically puking up and he yeah. needed to go off so, so maybe that, that explains that substitution but and this is another example I mean when um, at, at the point where, as, as we already mentioned, in kind of the twelfth minute, when River had to make their second substitution of the three allowed, um, both myself and also Australian Dan, who of course wasn't at the Super Classico, but had got up at Amazing. four o'clock in the morning his time to, to watch it on, on internet. Well, he tells me that he gets up at four or five o'clock um, anyway. Yeah, this Australian. Well, that's, that's what he always claimed when he was here. Actually, <laughs> he, he used to say that he, he often wakes up at six in the morning or whatever. Um, but yeah, both of us were, were claiming on, on Twitter were saying, you know, the, the fact that River had made two substitutions this early on. In the second half, it's going to mean that some legs are going to go, and they're not going to be able to, mm-hmm. to make the requisite changes. Um, anyway, let's let's move on from the Super Classic now and, and discuss some other matches. One of the other really big matches um, of the weekend just gone, in terms of relegation standings, certainly um, actually wasn't played. Independiente versus Tigre, as a result of the same storm that has left me without any power in my house. I'm not going to shut up. Glad to keep in track of this. He's not mentioned Sunderland once yet. Um, Independiente Tigre was was not played, not not because the pitch was waterlogged, but because Avellaneda. The entrances were waterlogged. Yeah. Basically, the streets, the bits of Avellaneda that weren't Independiente's pitch were flooded. Um, the entire barrier or, or the entire partido, I've heard. Um, as a result of which, Independiente Tigre has been called off until both teams are out of the Copa Sudamericana. And the AFA have announced that if uh, both teams go far enough in the Copa Sudamericana, that might mean that it's not going to be played till 2013. This is incredible. Well, it this happened with Independiente already. Yeah. It happened exactly. what, a year ago. Yeah. And they didn't. They it's played like, their final match. A few weeks season, ago, there was, was Independiente again delayed against. I think it was Tigre as well. It was, it was actually. But yeah, Tigre. a year ago. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was Tigre. Yeah. Um, and, but, but this could be a match to decide potentially, depending on, on Copa Sudamericana placings as well, who, who takes part in the, in the uh, Copa Libertadores next year. And they might not end up playing it until next year. Well, there's no, Independiente already in because they're the. Oh, no, sorry, you're right, you're right. Yeah, but Tigre is already in as well, depending but it on. It depends on how they get on in the suit, so they can, not, yeah. in, not in the league. Yeah, yeah. We, we should also mention, uh, because we mentioned in last week's episode that these are the two teams um, who had a chance when we recorded last week of going further than Colón. When we recorded last week, Colón had already gone out the Copa Sudamericana, Independiente and Tigre still had to play on Thursday. Um, I think by the time I uploaded the, the podcast, Independiente had already gone through, and as I was uploading, Tigre were going through, amazingly. Um, Tigre still without a win in the league, but managed a 4-0 win against Deportivo Quito last Thursday night to overturn a 2-0 first leg defeat and go through to the quarter-final or 1-8th final. It is the quarter-final of the Copa Sudamericana. Um, was that Gorosito's first game? It was. So he's gone off to yeah. a fairly good start. 4 0 win in competition. Just, you just look at it, you think competition. players. I mean, come on. We were talking, mentioning it earlier with Falcioni. Well, and you mentioned it as well. Several weeks ago, you mentioned it with Sava as well, with San Martin. Yeah, sudden, exactly. Sudden yeah. turn up in form when Sava was, was let go. I mean, it does happen when a team gets a new coach, generally. I mean, but maybe, still, yeah. such a turnaround is it's interesting. Um, so that, that match wasn't played anyway uh, we will keep you up to date with, with what it is uh, absolutely um, in other results San Lorenzo got a 2-2 draw against Quilmes on Saturday afternoon there were fists flying after that one weren't there yeah um, a late, late equaliser by yeah not, 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 not
They had two lovely goals that Sam had to score as well. Mm. And they, they, they were 2 0 up as well, I think. Well, no, I, I think. They, I think no, they went down. They were 1 0 down. They were 1 0 down. Is that true? Really? Yeah. You sure? I wouldn't like to, Sam. Because Ole says they went 2 0 up and then went and then conceded. No, you killed me, Stephanie. Oh, no, I've right. They've started. Right. You're correct. They've changed the order. They've started listing goals and they're now listing it by team rather than by minute scored. So, yeah. Yeah. Other results. The the main one at the top of the table was Newell's Old Boys, uh, the league leaders, who are playing champions. Excuse me. Who are playing champions? Arsenal de Sarandí. Good neighbours, Sam. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> you're up. You're next door though, because I'm I'm bothering about our podcast. Oh, you're wearing a double. Zombie girl. Who are playing champions? Arsenal de Sarandí and conceded their first goal at home all season. Shocking, no? Um, that got a 2-1 win all the same, and that goal was scored after a key defensive linchpin. Um, Gabriel Hainsey was sent off. Um, who caught that match? That's all I was on the way to Racing Soasso. Say that again, and while Zombie's not shaking his tail, are you? I was on the way to Racing Soasso, none of it. Let's see. John? Yeah, I, I, I saw, I turned. I think they're just as um, as they, they scored the second, which is a fantastic goal. It must uh, be really nice. Who scored the goals then? Uh, the goals by Scott. Yes, of course. Scott. 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 The second one. Spectacular. Oh, Scott scored two. Yeah. The first one was in, they looked really good for about twenty minutes after that, and then I was thinking because I, you know, I heard very good things in Newell's, mm. and I was thinking they really are, yeah, probably a good side. And they, they almost bowled it after. I mean, they say something mm. off. Uh, obviously, it was here was a huge uh, factor. Um, but it was a sending off that was provoked by them being under pressure rather than that then causing the swing the swing had already happened mm-hmm. um, and then you had that very weird thing there were two one up with like three minutes to go and the fans about fireworks the game must be delayed by about 20 minutes but in news they do it yeah. all the time yeah. pretty much every but game they do it and sometimes it's, the game is stopped but you're right sometimes it's stopped but and it's other just, times it's not you know, they're holding on why disrupt it if they're under pressure fine but the yeah. TV commentators made exactly that point. They actually said while the TV cameras were showing it, and it did look, you know, if I'd been in the stadium as a neutral, you'd have been thinking, wow, what an atmosphere. I think it's basically because the they've got to use, now they've got to use the fireworks up before they leave. The TV people also made, made the point of saying, you know, this is the exact opposite of what Neil's manager needs at the moment. Well, like, they showed they're they hanging on to the lead. There are five minutes or whatever. There was a shot of Martino shaking his head. There was yeah. a shot of Martino yeah. shaking his head, so he was obviously pretty frustrated about it as well. But uh, I was uh, interested, though, John. There's been a lot of talk about Newells this season, but what you what you made of them? Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for after the goal, for, yeah, probably until about quarter of the second half, I thought they were really, really impressive. I thought in terms of shape, it was excellent. Um, you know, always even man over kept the ball intelligently but you could tell they were a Bielsista team um. <laughs> if you can hear a scratching sound that is zombie it's me going at his own neck uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that you know, in the handful of Argentine they did for see each year you, you really notice how, how basic a lot of the tactical players mm. that, um, there's a lot of rigidity all people out of position but rather than you know, what Newell's really have which is fluidity but in the system where people are covering for each other you've kind of answered the question I was going to butt in with there which is do you think Newell's are an exception to that because I mean we, we were at Racing versus Newell's the previous weekend uh, myself Joel and, and Ed I mean well Dan was there as well but he was 
not with quite as good a view of the pitch as we were because he was done in popular. Um, we, we all said it's kind of an exception in Argentina to see two teams who are pressing that high up the pitch who are that well laid out, even though uh, Racing's right back particularly. Yeah, I think the pressing is, is a big match, thing. Yeah, the, I, I don't recall seeing another Argentinian team press like that. I'd include Vélez in the same category, actually. Yeah, I'd well, say the same like, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, Obviously, you've got to see over the last kind of five years or so, kind of, you know, probably relatively regularly. Yeah. The, the Vélez team that um, actually finished second behind Estudiantes, and then did they go on the winner title the following year? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, I thought, were very well organised. In a different mm-hmm. way. I mean, that front three was very, very mobile, and then you know, they, they you know, kept the seven behind the ball. What was that? The Morales, Silva, and uh, Martinez. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, what yeah. a great three that was. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, talking about they beat Racing 1-0, which means that they've now leapfrogged Racing and go second. They're three points behind Newell's um, in the title, Racing in our third. And Fourth. Fourth, are they? Yep. Really? You sure? I think I'd know. I wouldn't claim that if it wasn't true. Actually. You're right. Yep. But we're right, so third. Racing are yeah. fourth. I don't notice that. Yeah. Um, um, that was again, as we said last week. Racing had the bad fortune to have to play Newells, who are first, and then Vélez in consecutive weeks. Uh, you've got one point from him from those two matches. English Dan, as a Racing member, you were you were at the Vélez game as well, weren't you? I was. Yeah, I went um, to both games of the double header. What did you think? Unsurprisingly, you couldn't argue with either result. You know, um, I think it showed that Racing, you know, they've come on leaps and bounds, at least from the Clausura, which was an absolute shower, but. There were yeah, there's still a long way to go until uh, they can start competing with teams like Newells and Vélez, and you saw exactly why on uh, on Saturday, I believe it was. Yeah, you had uh, Racing who showed very little kind of attacking intention. I think they had one shot on target the whole game against a Vélez team, which we should say it's like Newells. You know, it's not an out of this world team. It's not a Barcelona. It's not a Real Madrid, but it's a team that knows exactly what it's got to do. They press really high on the field. Um, I thought uh, Emiliano Papa was fantastic, always kind of coming up yeah. on the left. and ended up a good game. Just, yeah, just a very solid team. It ended 1-0 to Vélez because I guess you could say it was a sort of fortunate goal in the end. It was Ivan Vélez shot, which you know was parried by Sebastian Sacha when usually that's the kind of ball that he would have smothered and Lucas Prato was on was on hand to put in the rebound. Do you think it was a mistake by, by Saka? I haven't actually watched it back. I couldn't right. bring myself to watch it back, but I, I wouldn't say it's a mistake. It was kind of that 50-50 where the goalie possibly could have done better, but mm. at the same time, you can't blame him. And That's also, he's, he's, he's built up so much credit, I think it's harsh to kind of... You can't blame yeah. Saka for anything. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But to be honest, no, the main thing I took from that game, obviously, it was a bitterly disappointing result for Racing because it basically say goodbye to their hopes of the championship this year you know five points behind yours now you zombie zombie is going at it like a yeah. rabbit on heat <laughs> that's his own neck not anything else um, so yeah it was you, 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 the thing is you say that about Racing's championship hopes but I was also reading yesterday um, an interview with Paolo Goltz the captain of Lanús mm. whose side now are on 20 points in 5th place which is 6th behind Newell's mm. and he was saying um, a fantastic quote for, for the optimist particularly in a league that's as difficult to maintain any kind of um, uh, 
uh, kind of good a run of form as, mm. as in Argentina he went well we just need to win five in a row yeah. and then hope that everybody above us fucks up a bit <laughs> and we can win the title as well because the thing is it, it can that's a very sweet bit yeah. to think so the thing is in Argentina it can happen if you know, teams do drop if points if we every game between now and the end of the season they win the title yeah definitely mm. no doubt but it's not going to happen but anyway but that's what they've got to try to do right yeah I mean, of course, of course. Mm. That's which is going to be interesting because you know uh, before this game Racing were on a, a pretty good run of form I think it was three consecutive wins followed by that draw against Newells and it was really built on quite pragmatic football you know it was um, not kind of prioritised possession you get it out of the pitch and you and you try and get it back around midfield and it wasn't particularly exciting but it was getting results so now I think that Racing if they have kind of pretensions and still of at least chasing the title towards the final day. Can They've we, got to rethink this maybe with um, Camaronesi coming back in with, as a more creative player, not as part of kind of a doble cinco, but maybe a bit further out the field. I think there's questions to be asked. I think uh, the next game is going to be uh, Tigre away, which is a game that's winnable. If not, you know, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's winnable. But it's all about the mentality now. They've got to, they've got to kind of put this. What are they calling it? You know. If it's not broke, don't fix it. If it's getting results, don't fix it. You know, pragmatic style behind them and find a way to to make more chances in the game because you could probably say in the last couple of games, Newells and Newells and Villas have created probably six chances in, in those two games. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. I, but personally, I think the moment's gone. These games were key and to take one point from the two is disappointing. But so in that case, are we now saying that the title is between Newells, Villas and Belgrano de Cordoba? It's between Newells and Venice. Yeah. You don't think yeah. Belgrano are only one point back from, from Newells. They got a 1-0 win over Union. And it's they, Union. very much like Newells actually, Belgrano are continuing to say, regardless of how many they win, regardless of how high the, the torneo inicial standings they are, they keep on saying, no, it's about avoiding relegation this season. And Newells are doing the same thing. They're that. keeping yeah. fantastically focused on that. Um, because, of course, in the relegation table, I mean, Newells now are, are pretty comfortable. But at the same time, we... Zombie is continuing to make noise in varying ways. At least he's going away. Um, for the moment, he's. <laughs> in fairness, he's done well there. A spiral staircase, a very yeah. steep spiral yeah. staircase. Oh, he takes those stairs like a pro. You wouldn't believe it. <laughs> if Tim Vickery were here, I'm sure he'd comment that Zombie has a lot of promise for the future and, and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, both Belgrano and Newells, two of the, the protagonists now in this title race, are continuing to insist that it's not about the title, it's about. Survival. It was the perfect situation, isn't it? Indeed, they had it last year, and, yeah, it's, and, exactly and, it's, and it, it's obviously it's exactly the same thing. They just, they've got to win the games, whatever. I think and at the start of the class order, it was the same with Arsenal. Even you know, they needed to still pick up a few points to to stay to stay safe. You're right. Yeah, they did. Um, let's whip through the other results really quickly. On Saturday, after San Lorenzo Quilmes two-two was the first match, and then we had um, Atletico Rafaela got a two-one win away to San Martin de San Juan. Hello, Nesta. You're much quieter than Zombie, so you're welcome um, All boys, got a. It's impossible not to look at him looking at you like that and not laugh. Um, all boys got a 1 0 win away to Estudiantes. Did anybody catch that one? No, no I didn't see Estudiantes were. were yeah. with Pune, they were. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But why? Because they were poor or because it was uh, daylight? Just because they didn't, you know. It was a game they feel like they should be winning and they just didn't go out to, uh, to chase yeah. it. To the end, it's all boys, come on. Yeah. 
No, totally. Um, Newell's beat Aston Alta 2-1, we've mentioned that already, and Bellis beat Racing 1-0 on Saturday night, and then we had on Sunday River Boca 2-2, uh, Brian Union 1-0, uh, Lanús beat Argentinos Juniors 1-0, um, anybody? Well, well, actually, well, well, I didn't catch that one because I was, I was on the way to, to Jolt's so house. That was a lovely goal from Regeda, wasn't it? The, yeah, um, that's yes, all that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't catch much of the other game. I was, I was sorting out the chart, the the coals and the. Uh, and the yeah, Joe was our our Asada master. I was the uh, yeah. party. I was the party Very good job as well. Sorry. Very good job you did as well. Everything yeah, just cooked. Yeah, yeah just I know. Really. Not not overcooked, unlike most Argentine Asada. Yeah, which is good. Sacred blade, fantastic. Mm. Don't expect to see that. You probably say it later. Absolutely. Now we've lost all of our it's alright though there are about 12 of them compared with 75 in Peru according to last week's stats so. well, what about the guy in Djibouti how does he cook his food no, I've no idea if, if you are a Djiboutian listener by the way you've been downloading uh, for the benefit of the rest of our listeners every week now for at least a year we've had one down Hello. yeah please get in touch and also and also one in Tajikistan um, so if you're either of those people Please send us an email or something to say. Yeah, tell us how you cook your meat. You, yeah, you do show up in, in, in your country stats on, on our statistics page, and I'd love to know where you're from and, and why you listen. And, it, you know. um, and then on Monday evening, the, the one of the two matches that did get played uh, was a 1 1 draw between Colón de Santa Fe and Godoy Cruz de, de Godoy Cruz, in fact, not there. Godoy Cruz de Mendoza. Isn't that a horrible uh, right, yeah, it's right, yeah. there and Godoy Cruz. Exactly, yeah, they played the home match to Mendoza, but it's a separate city. Um, so this leaves the standings with, as we say, Newell's, uh, Veles three points behind, Belgrano four behind, Racing five behind, Lanús six behind. Um, in the relegation table, I just wanted to ask one or two things about given some of the results. We've got, at the moment, Unión, um, San Lorenzo and Independiente in the relegation spots with San Martín, Quilmes and Argentinos now hanging just above. And Union and Tigre, two of the well, in fact, the only two teams who are still without a league win this season. Um, wow, what's that? Union really do look doomed already. Yeah, absolutely. They yeah, got fifty points last season, really which, good. which for a newly promoted side, fifty is the what you aim for. So far, now after twelve matches, they've got three points. They haven't won a single match. Yeah, no, they've got three draws and nine. It's firstly out of the question, isn't it? That they can stay up. What's happened to them though? Over the, over the winter break. None of us. When we did our season preview, we're saying Union are going to struggle because they've not signed whatever. It's second syndrome, second season syndrome. Yeah, yeah that difficult second album, as it were. Uh, second, second season syndrome. It now seems to be spoken of in certainly in, in English football as if it's a real thing, as if it's actual disease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. The thing is, okay, so John, compared with compared with countries which have normal relegation systems and. You might say proper relegation systems. Um, oh, the only thing is mental. Let's get out of the way. Just go but, into a football league where you have 38 games. Every place does it twice. Bottom three goes down. But what I want to ask you, because we've asked you when you've been on before about the Argentine relegation system, is is second season syndrome exacerbated by the fact that Argentina's relegation system takes into account the previous season and, and therefore... The teams who are coming up and have just got one season on their ranks, in this case, uh, this season's case, River and Quilmes, are getting more points per game for every win that they get than Union. Yeah, I guess, but if you have a good first season, you obviously have the, the advantage in the second season, so maybe you can, you can cover for a slight deficiency. 
then of course you know you, the disease progresses and you end up with third season syndrome and that's fatal <laughs> is that four, four stage cancer from what I say it's, no, it's, it's, it's bad it's, is it as bad as dog cancer <laughs> well you know I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a veterinarian but, um, <laughs> but yes <laughs> excellent um, I think Zombie is rattling the steps once again. No, that's Nesta. That was Nesta. Yeah. That was Zombie's down here. Nesta's gone up, Zombie's gone back down. I think that's the cue uh, for us to refill our glasses. And we'll be back after this short instrumental break with, because we've got a great many of them, uh, may or may not be anything to do with the fact that Jonathan Wilson's in town, um, with, with some of your listeners' questions. So don't go anywhere, and we'll be right back. is from Tom Robinson who says has anybody told Pablo Melchi that he hasn't made the Ballon d'Or cut (laughs) (laughs) no but I'll happily do it I'd love to do it if they gave me that job like if they said you need someone to break it to Pablo Melchi I would say it and I'd make a really big fanfare of it as well (laughs) it's it also I mean we could be just sort of quite direct about this and just tweet it to him because he's on Twitter Mr. Mr. Moosh he is yeah so maybe Tom could tell him Mm. Tom, send him a tweet. Does he send a really good tweet if I want every three years? About my watch? Yeah, and then just be crap for the other... All I've seen... Not on Twitter long enough for us to know yet. No, all I've seen of Pablo Marchi's um, Twitter feed is that he retweets people that say he's brilliant. That's all I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> Never seen him actually say anything. Which is pretty much him. On which no. On which no. Ed Malian asked that next question. I've never heard of him. I've, uh, who is that? Some ex-Hanipo guy. Yeah, no, I don't know. Uh, but he says, re-latest Argentina squad, La Mela. So oh, I, I, saw it, uh, yeah, I saw it today. Uh, eight games, seven starts, six goals. Mm. Right, Alvarez, Alvarez yeah. zero starts, zero goals, one assist. Explain. Well, they are slightly different positions. I mean, the point you made was absolutely right. Well, I'd say completely different positions in terms of not just where they play, but where they are best employed, what natural kind of players they are. And Ed's got this kind of thing, which we've spoken about a little bit, and I'd love it for him to be here so we could argue about this a bit more. But, um, but basically, it's like the whole thing is revolving around the engagement. And I would argue that neither of them are. No. Um, Lamela is a very modern forward, very much in the Ronaldo kind he, of thing. He played left wing at Either Rizzo, side, but through the middle, but he's not in right. Gantu. Yeah, he's yeah. not a passer. In, in, in fact, much of the criticism when he was at River was that he never passed it. And Ricky is a left midfielder. I don't think he's not good enough in the middle. Yeah. Um, and, and he's good when he's got a bit of space ahead of him, both to pass, but also to move into himself. But he's, he, hasn't got the, he hasn't, I don't think he's got the uh, same sort of presence as, uh, as a typical sort of in Gantu. He hasn't got the kind of force. Saw- so, you, so you, the thing you, is, it's they're different players. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, I think Alvarez is, is rubbish. I can't conceive. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I can't conceive. But I'd make the point. Yeah. The point I'll make is that these players in the team, just both of them, not going into if one of them is better, one of them is worse, because everyone's got their opinion. But the fact that these two players on the bench, you look at. I think we made the point where in the last uh, World Cup round that. Um, if Argentina was struggling, who would they turn to on the bench? Guinea, Sosa, Argos, like, 
at least you've got these two players on the bench. They're players that can come in and make an impact. So for me, it's a positive step. Just on that. You know, they're not going to be in the first team, either of them. And I think... Who was the other one? Frank Sanders is interesting. I think he's a very underrated player. Yeah. So I think... He's improved an awful lot last year. He's now... He's bulked out. He's able to hold the ball up. Technically, he's always been very good. Yeah. So I think it's good. You know, obviously, it's a friendly. So but let's take a chance to... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's no question Nick Wayne is much better player than Frank Sanders. But at least, really? you know, you look at the bench here and you think, oh, well, that's something that can actually change a game rather than the people yeah. that have. Hmm. See, something I noticed today, which, uh, well, I don't know what it shows, but uh, the Argentinian top flight is the sixth most watched league in the world yeah, in terms of people who go, really? go to see it. It's it, it, it the same as in, in person. Yeah, in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then and, and yet at the same time, yeah. that, that average has to sorry, but that average has to be pushed up by by River Boca and, and well, like River Boca is selling out every yeah. week and, and racing. Obviously, yeah, but that's true of any country, that's right? True. Every yeah. league in the world. Yeah, you say the Premier League stats are pushed up because Manchester United get seventy five thousand every yeah. week. Yeah, true. But then the weird thing is, you look at the Argentina squad, even the squad for friendly, it's slightly experimental. Not a single domestic based player. Yeah. So people are still turning well, 22 and a half thousand yeah, No, because afterwards they call up the domestic players They call up the foreign players first And then a couple of weeks later they call Well, I, I'm under the impression that for this game there are, no, there are no yeah, domestic yeah. based players going Mike, Because it's not Just to clarify because Possibly because I've had more for that too many already But whatever um, I didn't hear the, the very beginning of, Or I wasn't listening fully at the, be- the beginning of which match is this against? Saudi Arabia Where? in November. And when? In Saudi Arabia, okay. Was it November against 14th or 15th? This is another simple fact that I've not been online for the last few days because I saw this mentioned on a TV news channel when I was at my girlfriend's house a couple of nights ago, but that was it. So it's against Saudi Arabia? In yeah. Riyadh. They're yeah. clearly playing yeah, 14th, really meaningful 14th friendlies to try 14th of yes. November, but this is the point. Something. It's not an official FIFA date, <laughs> yeah. so there aren't many players going. But, but the point is still valid, John, though, because even when... Locally based players are called up. There's only about yeah. what four or five. Yeah. Tops, so so there, well, people are turning out in huge numbers. Yeah. Mm. You know, in relative global terms yeah. to watch very very mediocre football. Six, got and it's like even like more beating, extraordinary when you think it. the stadiums are kind of a shambolic. Yeah. The the police are shambolic. That there's genuine. Yeah. Threat of physical violence. Loads you, of people stay yeah. away from matches you, you who were go, going 15 years ago. You, you go to, to games at home, finally get held back for mm. half an hour, three quarters of an hour after the final whistle. You know, they're doing everything they can to drive people away from grounds and they're but still you know, turning up. The people go, like, just, for my, like, just for my example, you know, I went to Santa Fe the other weekend to watch uh, Colombia Racing, which was a pretty alright game, you know. Racing won in the, in the later stages of a goal, but it was a pretty shoddy game. Know, objectively speaking, quality-wise, and then getting on the on the bus back, which was a seven-eight-hour trip. We had a window smashed in a V-shell by people throwing stones, but still, it doesn't make you think. Oh, not going to the next one then, because you just do. It's it's a weird feeling, and I think that's shared by a lot of Argentine fans. You just go because you go. It's a thing. Yeah, oh, I mean, but I, mean, I think then you kind of see why you. Why there's a logic to, and it's a horrible logic to all the five dollars. That if the teams had gone on strike, what would the what would the outcome have been? Mm. Um, Lexus you Blizzard, we got a piece on the the Eldorado League in Colombia, mm. right. and that was I had no idea about this. This was set up yeah. by the Colombian government. By whom? Oh, interesting. And uh, Carl Wesick. Okay. Um, set up by the Colombian government after one of the senior opposition figures was murdered. 
basically, if we can get the best football in the world here, yeah. people will watch that and they won't take the streets and rise up against us. Uh, for the benefit of listeners who are not familiar with this El Dorado uh, term, this is whilst the Colombian League was operating outside FIFA regulations well no it was slightly later it began to operate outside FIFA regulations because oh. basically they, people broke contracts to, to go and move there so yeah. people like the Stefano In- including well, a lot of English players as well but also there were several players for at least four or five who were Manchester United players Charlie Mitten Charlie Mitten went and several players I think it was three English players actually played. Yeah. Mm. There was a handful more were, were, were out. It was contrast. It didn't, yeah. didn't quite work out. At one point, the entire Peruvian and Paraguayan national teams were playing there. <laughs> uh, but because people were breaking contacts to go, FIFA expelled them. But they had so much money, nobody really just, yeah. you know, kept paying people. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it's a similar, yeah, obviously that was a very, very extreme situation. But I think there's an element of that here. That yeah. it, is, it is the opiate of the masses. It is kind of keeping people in check. Yeah. John, out of interest, just to take it right back to the point you made at the beginning of the discussion, um, can you remember which five leagues were the five that were above Argentina? I'm seeing England, Germany, Spain, Italy, France, or uh, Mexico, maybe? Brazil. I think, no, no, Mexico's, Mexico's after Argentina. Brazil. Was that, I thought Mexico was... Was that? Was I would think France was still there. I've been to one Mexican league match and the they stadium bring was numbers, like yeah. four fifths empty. But in fairness, the stadium in question was the, the Azteca. Yeah, so yeah, it's four fifths empty. Bundesliga top people though. Yeah. Premier League second, then Spain and Italy third and fourth. Mm, right. Mexico fifth, Argentina sixth. Right. Well, France seventh. Brazil sort of eighth or ninth. Yeah. Well, actually, Netherlands is very, very low. Netherlands is quite high as well, which surprisingly high given how small the country is. I suppose it's kind of a small league as well. So. The next question is from Craig Clark, um, who is a Sunderland fan. Oh. If only we have one of those on at the moment. Uh, he says, since Jonathan Wilson is on, I think Sunderland need to be shoehorned in. Um, Craig, that's exactly what <laughs> I've been thinking for the last hour and a half. Uh, he says, which Argentine club most resembles us in terms of history, mm-hmm. support and success, or more aptly lack of in recent years? This determines who I'm going to support in Argentina. So I think we need to hand this over to Mr. Wilson. Well, I guess a team who was really, really good in the 1890s and is pretty shit now, so <laughs> Lomas. Uh, no, I suppose at least maybe Banfield or Quilmes, maybe. Alumni, then. Gymnasium. Gymnasium. Alumni are now playing rugby. Gymnasium. 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 Uh, who still somehow attracts 35, 40,000 every week. It sounds quite a bit like a racing, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. If only yeah. we could think of somebody. I have a, a very good friend. Wear stripes. Who, yep. who constantly, whenever he's talking to anybody English, compares racing to Newcastle or Sunderland. Yeah, racing is Newcastle, yeah. One of the most supported clubs in the country. Once enormously, <laughs> yeah. enormously successful and since it's then, you know, haven't won anything in ages and he says exactly the same thing. So I, I would agree with racing on that. Yeah. Um, Oh, we've got some new, new wrestling fans in. Absolutely. Um, 
Oh, God. I've scrolled down the wrong way. Uh, next question is, we've got several about why Sabella is not picking Lamela for the Argentine national team. We've kind of already answered that, really. Well, he just um, has, yeah. well, well yeah. I mean, he doesn't actually fit in, in, in Sabella's system, does no, he? No, well, that as well. I think he could probably yeah. play instead of Di Maria. He could be like a replacement. I, I disagree on this one. The I, other I thing think it's Aguero or... Yeah. I think it's Aguero. La Betsy. Or Iguain, maybe, yeah. but I think it's a word because because Di Maria fulfills uh, quite a different role in terms of. Yeah, the left flank can change it. Yeah, could use that. Yeah. I, I don't think he's any good doing it. I the other thing, thing when discussing this, I think Di Maria can do because I think he's got better engine. The other thing when discussing this, well, is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's purely the fuck. What was I going to say? <laughs> it's like that. If you haven't got host, it's going to be shit. Um, no, sorry. The other thing when discussing this is purely that the. When we talk about why can't this player or that player or or the other player get a match for Argentina, invariably the question is about an attacking midfield player or a yeah. wide attacking player or a centre forward. And you look at the strength in depth that Argentina have got, and uh, to a huge extent, it, the answer to the question why can't he get a game for his national team is is because his national team is Argentina. Mm. We're, yeah. talk, we're not talking about players who would not get a game if they were, you know, German, Brazilian, Italian, even Spanish. Yeah. They get in the team, mm. but they happen to have Lionel well, Messi, Sergio Aguero. Yeah. No, well, maybe not for Spain, but at I mean, the same you think time, one nothing can't get in the Spain team. Right? No, sure, but at the same time, if you if you're a, a number ten and if you're one of the players who who isn't a centre forward isn't the main striker and plays just off him and just dropping off and, and, oh, yeah, I have a, have a and you've got Lionel Messi and Sergio Aguero in front of you and Tevez with the other sort of ten out well exactly yeah, yeah. I mean how on earth do you get in the team you've yeah, got that yes, it's no. totally true yeah. so, it's a Stuart McGill syndrome you've I mean, got to go out and marry some of your and that's essentially why Javier Pastore for example isn't getting in the team and, and La Mela and whoever else are not getting in the team because they've got Pastore and then a bunch of others ahead of them and yeah, you're all smirking at, at Jonathan's jokes, so I'll, I'll acknowledge that. <laughs> See, one. Jonathan doesn't even um, need to hold the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no, something's much more naturally funny than I. Um, but you know, the fact that they've got those players ahead of them, they, they have players ahead of them who have got Messi and Aguero ahead of them in in in, in retrospect. So yeah, well, I think we made the point the other week, even with um, Daniel Svaldo. He was nowhere near the, um, the Argentine team, you know, some coaches mm. have sort of made noise about him. Changes his nationality as Hallian, goes straight into the first team and yeah. makes a sensation. And, it's it's that, and Italy has so won the World Cup in the last well, six years. Yeah, Italy is one of football's most historic, most powerful nations. Mm. So I've heard, yeah. yeah. Um, Tom Beck asks, are you surprised how poorly San Lorenzo have performed? After bringing in decent players in the winter, such as Martin Roles, Drakatak, and so on. Oh, was yeah. I, I am as well. Um, well, yes and no. I mean, they have just changed coach, and the, and the coach that they were under Caruso before. Sure, they changed coach. He's not kind of. He's not the kind of coach who plays. Right, he's not a player who, not a coach who plays uh, attacking football. Particularly, he's always on the back foot. Players have said since um, PC came in for for Caruso, they've said we're playing ten meters further up the pitch than we were on yeah. Caruso so I expect to see a, a, a change in them um, in, in how they play in the next couple of weeks but the rot is very much set in at yeah. San Lorenzo I think it's a big it's yeah a big I mean like, like Evans Kilmer I'm not really sure how you, how you read that because they, they played pretty well I thought mm. and yet didn't win and, and that's a 
that is a sign of a team about to be relegated that even when you play well you don't get results yeah. or that is a sign that they are playing well and they are going to start to get results and obviously it's a, it's a positive but yeah uh, Tom Robinson asks do you think Mauro Matos all boys striker of course is due a move to one of the big or bigger clubs in the Primera I think so I would say no the form, the form he's shown in the last 12 months so I would mm. say absolutely I don't know enough about his history actually I don't know if he's had the chance in a big club if, I know he was I'll tell you what I will talking and I will look him up Carlos Luna was top scorer last season nobody came in for him until uh, he, he failed the medical at Lanús the only team who probably went in for them, mm. and then when River couldn't bring El Europeo, there was a big myth about the European that, that River were going to sign. Nothing happened there. Well, again. Well, he was already here, uh, and um, and then and so they signed Luna, who, as I said, had, had failed the medical. Um, but before that, as I said, as top scorer, far and away, brilliant season with Tigre, basically kept them up, kept them in the title race. Uh, no one came in for him, so Matos doesn't have press. I mean, he doesn't no, have Matt- anyone. I mean. Sorry, I've now got yeah, Matos's exactly. Wikipedia in front of me, and he has played for Justo Jose de Oquisa, who I've never heard of before, so they must be below the fourth division in Argentina. He played 37 matches for them, scored 17 goals in the 2006-7 season. Deportivo Armenio in the fourth division, I think this would have been at the time, in 07-08, 39 I mean, I May. need to go for all the stats. Yeah, sure. Just to clear an age. Well, clear 39 an age, games, 22 I think he shows a lot, promise, but I'm yeah. not sure he's quite ready yet. <laughs> Arsenal, 2008-09, 33 games, only six goals, and then for all boys, 2010, so the last two seasons, um, 36 goals in 94 games. How old is he? He is 30. Oh, OK. Uh, because he's probably quite got, got here. Yeah. Yeah. Even Dickory wouldn't play in that one. <laughs> um, Mike O'Neill asks Can Northern Ireland manager? No Surprisingly not No um, He says Considering they pissed away The 2-0 lead Are River fortunate The Bocca keeper Cocked up royally To give them a helping hand I don't know Early goals can work both ways Can't they Can yeah. actually knock you out Your stride a bit If you score too early well, I think he's talking particularly about the, the, the free kick, which I said at the time was a very clever free kick from Fox. The clever free kick was absolutely dreadful goalkeeping. Yeah. It was. That at the same time, yeah. No, I don't think you can start rewriting history because then we can go into what would have happened if the two River players went in off. Well, what exactly. happened if well, well, he wasn't the given because Apathy Acosta yeah. was offside in the build up to that? You, you just can't go into things like that. Perhaps he got up right, but also, as you say, if, if, if those two players hadn't been injured in the first 12 minutes, which is almost unprecedented in football history, right? Well, the physio said today, on, uh, he was interviewed on radio about this, and he said, yeah, he's, he doesn't, he's never seen it in his, in his mm. career, and he's in his later years. And also, Sever was playing some QPR example, wasn't he? Was it Richard Langley? Sever always looked at everything. Yeah, it was, it was Richard Langley, Clark, But the other thing is, is to, um, you know, yeah, let's not get into counterfactuals and stuff, because it's just a blind alley. No, but one fact is that... I mean, yeah, River have been enormously unlucky in, in one way because both uh, Ramiro Funes Mori and um, Martin Aguirre have been ruled out for the, a minimum yeah. of five months with their injuries. And for them both to happen in the first 12 minutes. And also, Ramiro Funes Mori and Rogelio Funes Mori, his twin brother, who's the more Gabriel, famous one, the striker. Rogelio. It's not. I'll stop doing this when he manages to get the message across to River's kit man and doesn't have 
their Maori on his shirt anymore. Um, it's G, because otherwise it would cross with R, which is his twin brother. It's yeah, he's still calling him Rahelio. So anyway, those two had, de- uh, had agreed... All the major issues here on Hot. <laughs> Absolutely. Those two had agreed a joint transfer to Fiorentina that was going to go through in January, and presumably that's now off with, with Ramiro. What was the fee for that, incidentally? Joel, you're, you're a man with the contacts inside, River, so... About, they're talking about 15, but... 15 for the pair? Yeah, but it's a lot. But, but, but then this week, no, no, well, no, no, fifteen pounds for Rogelio Funes Mori is a lot, I would say. But I, I just I heard, heard a, a whisper that he was being tapped around, just just uh, Gabriel or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for twelve by himself. Well, yeah, then I saw. Yeah, there was the talk about Inter as well yeah. this week, which well, you never know. Um, next question is from Matt Chesterton who's a good friend of, of mine and, and of Australian dance as well before Australian dance buggered off and left us here. Um, he says, after seeing footage of that guard kicked, in, kicked senseless in the head, I never want to see another game here. Why am I wrong? So, gents. Um, you're not. I, I, I see exactly what I said earlier. It was disgraceful how yeah. the security but was. He but he's the only... Sorry, only I, yeah. he, he then said another tweet saying, this is a product that is crying out to be boycotted. So what's the counter-argument? I mean, why should people carry on watching Argentine football when that's what happens? And it's two things here. First of all, there's, there's an Argentine journalist called Gustavo Gravia who works a lot with Barra Bravas and violence in the game. And I've seen him say twice in, in talks and, and what have you, exactly this. He says, nothing will change until all of us turn off the televisions, turn off the radios and stop going to the games. Yeah. And so first of all, it, it has been touted out there. It? It is. But, the, but us, the us in your sentence is the Argentine public. Yeah, yeah, of course. Rather than, let's say, us. Well, I don't, well the, the foreigners aren't really making up big numbers. Well, really right, yeah, yeah, obviously, it will stop going. I mean, yeah. um, but the other thing is, is in the wording of, of Matt's question, which is interesting, he says it's a product, and, and this is the thing, that in Argentina still, they're not... On the one hand, it is a product, and obviously all clubs rely on selling players, but ultimately, they're sports clubs... You yeah. get more people, uh, um, all the clubs that have got a number of activities going on, River Plate, one of them, I mean, Newell's, I'm sure Racing's the same. Mm-hmm. You get more socios, more members involved in going to the gym, yeah. swimming, playing badminton, tennis, ping pong, whatever, than you do going to football. I mean, yeah. millions of, of sports, um, oh. than you do going, going to the games. And so this is the thing, it's not just a product, and it's not just like the Premier League where it's uh, ultra sort of sanitised now. Um, there's yeah. still very much a social aspect and social life at clubs, which yeah. is still very important, and that is why people don't... If you go to any of the clubs on a weekday, they're packed, yeah. packed with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and people quite, quite often won't go to a football match, mm-hmm. but it's not just the football team that they're supporting, it's a club, all their mates go there, their grandparents went there, and so it's, it's the whole culture of it, and this is why um, I thought it was interesting, the word product there, which I think he's right mm-hmm. to say that, but... but I think it's, it's, more it's also, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly extrapolating from what I know of England in the, in the 80s, but this is actually... Yeah, football doesn't create violence. Violence is inside and football is the outlet. Mm. Now, of course, football can do things to try and calm it down. You know, the issues of policing clearly yeah, could be better. Um, clearly more can be done to get the bars out of grounds. Um, but the, the idea that if everybody stops going to football, suddenly there's going to be harmony is, is, is laughable. You know, yeah. it's, that will manifest in a different way. Um, so, really, you know, there's a positive you take from from the, the Steelers getting beaten up is if fans did in, intervene. Mm. You know, the reason that Steelers didn't die is because another fan, and you can see him on telly, 
you know, putting his arm up and, and stopping people. Yeah, so the stewards actually made this point in the interview I saw today in Olay. They said the only reason we're alive today is because the older fans, kind of, who were in the stands, intervened and they said, "Look, just leave these leave these guys alone and fuck off because we're not going to stand for this anymore." Yeah. And so, I think that still does have some sway in the stands. Like there are some people, you know, I know guys who are older and they still do have some sway. They can sort of control the the kids when they get out of control, but. Every time it gets, you know, the balance is shifting and you get guys who are just in it for, for the money or to cause a fight. And but it's, it's interesting that the, the, you know, it's the age profile that you talk about yeah. because actually, and this is something that's never talked about in England, um, but if you, if you look at the rise of Hillenism in England in the 60s and 70s, yeah. it coincides exactly with the average age of fans going down. Right. Um, that it, violence is a young man's game. Yeah. But the mentality that holds here, I mean... I go to Racing every week with a, with a guy, lovely, lovely guy, who's a fanatic of Racing, has been in, since he's, he was 15, he's now 60, and he was, you know, in his, in his formative years, say 20, 25, he was in the Enchada, he was, he was a Barra, and, you know, obviously it's racing and spectacles, spectacles, but he, yeah, makes, well, he makes a point like, ah, oh, you know, we used to go and we love it, you know, we'd all go out to dinner before the games and have this, and yeah, we used to have a fight, we went back down, but we knew where to leave it. They all say that, all the old guys Every say year. that, and, and it's, I was kind of like, and I don't think, it's it, you know, obviously it's completely roast in the spectacles, but it's no, but, not completely untrue. But well, absolutely, yeah. first of all, the main thing is they weren't armed. Yeah. And another thing is, you mentioned it there, yeah. you said These guys are saying, you know, people were in uh, bottle yeah. popular with broken bottles, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. with knives, with and this was, you know, Supposedly, with a uh, police presence of 1,500, everyone getting caught. Yeah. But there's also there's a big difference between you know, two bowers fighting each other, kind of concerning adults fighting. That's kind yeah. of, I mean, it's not a good thing, but it's not that bad a thing. Picking up stewards who get paid 100 pesos for the afternoon yeah. is just yeah. despicable. Yeah. Yes, completely. Or even on innocent fans who, who are not consenting. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, such as the river fan who got killed. In, in the stadium in the penultimate home match of last season yeah. Uh, yeah. for example yeah. so I think to answer the question for Matt it'd be I couldn't have any argument I wouldn't try to give any argument to someone here Argentine or otherwise who said I don't want to go to the stadium anymore I couldn't give them one reason to go no no, no, no. And, and in fact I should mention as well that Matt subsequently um, after asking that question sent us another tweet saying please don't make me sound like a dick um, no, no, he's completely right. And, he he's right. and yeah, the, the extraordinary thing is, but, still, but thing is twenty-two and a half thousand people go on average every yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, Matt, I mean, you don't you don't sound like a dick asking that. No, we no, ask no. ourselves the same thing yeah. almost every week. When we well, no, I actually off. found this one. Yeah, you know, obviously one of the reasons I was here was a super classical and you know, did a piece for Fox and a piece for the Guardian on that. And it's actually quite becomes quite a difficult piece to write because. There's a, there's a big danger of glamorising the violence. Mm. Well, I mean, we saw it and um, kind of think, getting off on the violence yeah. almost. I think Joel told us on Sunday we had a, a barbecue around his house and he was saying he managed to talk to Eric Cantona. It was brilliant. And then the next day, yeah, Cantona, not just with the batter, with the head of Bocas yeah. Batter, who what 
a month and a half ago got a shot in uh, into battle fight and nearly yeah nearly as, died. as a Manchester United fan I continue to believe that Eric didn't have a clue who he well, was no he, he just, knew he knew he was told or he knew no, no, but no, still no. it's it's that image people have of Argentine football you know yeah. it gets glam it gets glam there's two things here first of all Cantona's here doing a documentary and, and the same thing happened on the, the film that um, Costa Rica did on Maradona mm. they were also up in La Doce if any foreign programme film Documentary, yeah. whatever comes here, they will. They, they have to go there because that, that's where the colour is. You yeah. don't get the colour up in the plateau yeah. with the families. You get it in the dossier. The other thing I'd say about Cantona is today he went to the Exesma, which is the former detention centre. Um, big memory site. Was yeah. you know, five thousand people passed through there during the dictation. Which is so obviously he's from Monumental. Yeah, which is just up the road from the Monumental. Yeah. And I think it just shows that he's you know he's obviously quite um, yeah. clued into what yeah. what's going on here, and he's yeah. interested in in other things. So he's not just blindly going with the Barabrava and glamorising it. He's obviously taking an interest in in the recent history yeah. in Argentina, which I think there's a lot to be said for that. But the problem is that picture comes with Cantona with yeah. Martin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's oh, not so to yeah, yeah. not make these connections, you know. And yeah. this is a problem. I'm not saying it's Cantona's fault. Maybe he had to do that to be able to get such good interviews yeah, or be able to cover sure. it for sure. But this is part of the problem. These guys are so fixed in the club. There's so much part now of the club's like folklore that it's it's hard to get rid of it. This is the thing. We'll have two questions left. The first is a, another one from Tom Robinson, who asks, um, actually, before I read this out, I'll just mention that we didn't mention earlier. Uh, Boca Juniors left midfielder slash left back, young, promising player, Juan Sanchez Mino, um, which we've not mentioned uh, yet on Sunday. Forever got his uh, right or one of his shoulders, I can't remember which, left, I think, uh, dislocated. Um, and it's going to be out for the rest of the the, uh, the year. He says that now that Juan Sanchez Mino is out for the rest of the Inicial, is there any reason to watch Boca? Well, Colasso is going to come back in. Colasso missed yeah. the last six months, but he arguably was he, he made a bigger splash yeah. really before Sanchez Mino. Mm-hmm. So he'll there's a natural place now in in the team, and it's good for him because he's a uh, uh, he thought a really exciting prospect when he when he came in. And presumably so, so as yes. well. Presumably as well, Leandro Paredes. Who, who came off the bench against River is, is going to start to get some time particularly now that I, I would think at least the the common theory is Julio César Calcioni as manager is going to leave in January according to uh, popular belief um, might not give quite as much of a crap and might start playing a few of these young players who are going to be coming through in the next well, year well he already has brought through an, and Paredes particularly if Paredes starts playing the Boca by all accounts that's it's going to make him interesting to watch, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch Fred as well as you can because yeah. terminating deal to you to you back from what I hear. Yeah, so. good chat. So that's that's a very good reason. Uh, and the other is from uh, John Sivan, who says, "Is Pastore's exclusion from the national team mainly for tactical reasons, or is there any, another hidden factor that we're unaware of?" I should mention that uh, John is one of the contributors to Sever's blog, Mundo Abi Celeste, and I happen to know. Uh, from personal interaction he's a very big Pastore fan that's why he's asked that I think he's a big Pastore fan come on nothing not to like about him I think he's a lovely man I think he did answer my questions by email (laughs) (laughs) I think the issue is at the moment that in the two ways that Argentina play either as a 4-4-2 if they go more defensive or a 4-3-3 he doesn't fit Mm. and it sort of ends there I'd love to see him on, on the bench as an option yeah. Well, but this is actually but I think that's that's the reason I think it's we, completely tactical well we touched on this earlier that 
the, the, the glut of good attacking players is almost a curse for Argentina yeah. because every yeah at the minute results are good but every time there's a there's a one one draw a nil nil draw people are going to say why did you call Neymar why did you call Tevez why did you call Pastore well. Argentina went through the whole Batista era, the whole Maradona era, just trying to pack attacking players in the side. Mm. Doesn't work. No, no, no. The, you know, you, you've, got, you've got to be um, got to be rational about the resources you have, so, uh, and that I think is what Sabella's done really well. He's found a system that works. He's found a system that gets the best out of Messi. Mm. I mean, Messi's playing as well now for Argentina as he as he is for Barcelona. Yeah. And that, uh, and, 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 and that is, is is you know, essentially keep it tight. Yeah. Get Messi playing. Yeah. Get forward. That score goals as well. And Argentina will do very, very well. And for Argentina, Messi is a good enough player that that strategy in itself becomes getting that right becomes ten yeah. times more important than anything else, right? If you yeah. can get Messi playing well, also, and make sure you're not conceding more than one or two every match. If there was a club, and you, you know you, you suddenly, yeah, by, by some freak of your academy being brilliant, you, you turn you, know, you have Aguero and Tevez and Pastore, so. Mm. so then you work in training every day on finding a system to accommodate all three. Yeah. They each have to make a sacrifice, they each have to compromise. Somebody has to play you know, wide right and they might not want to, but you work it out. Yeah. In that you level, you can't do it. You don't have to Cavani yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's actually a real example mm-hmm. of it working at the national level. But even the Uruguay, their system is very simple. It's seven heavy on the ball and the three very good yeah. forwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't been working for the last six yeah. months yeah. because Forlan is, is not fact, quite the player he was yeah. so Sorry, it's John, if I just keep it as simple as possible yeah. if I'm just butting because a, a week or two ago we had a question on here which was asking about Cavani and, and, and Uruguay and asking why uh, or whether we would drop one of Forlan or Suarez and put Cavani more central for Uruguay and why that doesn't happen so as, as the, the tactical expert, well, let's say. Okay, so there's two things to say there. One is that actually it's easy to sort of um, look at Uruguay in the Copa America and think Cavani was there and he wasn't. Mm-hmm. He got injured in the first game or the second game and he came yeah. came back. I think it was the first game he came back in the quarter final. He only played in the start of But anyway, he missed the quarter final and the semi-final, which is actually when they, they were at the best, when they were playing a 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, okay, they worked in the World Cup, but in the Copa, almost a decision was was made for Tavares that okay, mm. just play the two of them, just play Tavares mm. and Forlan. So maybe I'm just think he's carried on with that since. No, no, I, 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 I think if you're Uruguay, you don't have a great pool of players. You have to play all three of them for available. Of course you do, yeah. um, but you know, maybe the time is coming that Forlan is getting to the end of the road, and you, you start trying to make Suarez and Cavanier. Which they, they didn't look like a partnership in the Olympics at all. No. Um, but then you've got a problem of where where's the creativity from midfield come from? Maybe you have to start using Gagano. Um, so I mean, I think you, you know, this is always going to be the problem for you, right? That the, the pool is so small that one, you know, one or two players go. They're, they're going to suffer more than most from the rotation of generations. They're going, they're going to suffer as any small nation does. Mm. You know, it's, it's no different to Croatia or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be on a slightly elevated field let's say with Uruguay we won a continental championship and reached the right. World Cup semi-final in the last couple of years so. well yeah but Croatia reached the semi-final of the World Cup I mean it's not it's not that different right although I must say I was really really surprised at how poorly Uruguay did at the, at the Olympics yeah really because on paper at least you know I watch a lot of South American football and I see these guys so maybe you know you know kind of the phenomenon when you watch a 
watch players a lot and you might build them up in your head a little bit more than they were but looking at that team and what they had I really thought they were there there to win well and they qualified on merit ahead of Argentina I mean no question about that oh yeah in the under 20s and that was with a completely domestic team you know not playing any players like Gaston Ramirez or the other players or Ortiz Fakera yeah these guys, yeah. I really yeah. like the bits by Gaston Ramirez, I have to say. I thought it was a very, very strange signing to Southampton. How much did they pay for him? Uh, 12. 12? Mm. Wow. When did Southampton get that money? Like, mm. uh, when I heard that Gaston Ramirez went to Southampton, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> it's like, April 4th is coming really late this year. Anyway, I think that's all the questions that we've got, so I'll now play a very quick bit of music and then I will let you all know what my. Uh, Predictions are this weekend. I'm going to don my wizard's hat and, and start clawing at the walls and bleeding from my own eyeballs and let you know what Mystic Sam is saying for the coming weekend in the Argentine Primera. But the tone's suddenly changed. <laughs> yeah. I know it's Halloween, but jeez. <laughs> what's happening in the Argentine Primera this weekend uh, I'm going for Arsenal de Sarandí versus Vélez Sarsfield I'm going for a Vélez win um, I think going to be a pause between each one of these whilst I scroll down the page yes I agree <laughs> thank you John uh, Rafaela versus Belgrano I'm going for a draw Ooh. Argentinos versus San Martín fuck um, I'm going for high goals uh, let's go for a San Martín win in that one, I'm sticking my neck out there. Estrada to lose his job after that one, then. Mm-hmm. You reckon? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Tigre versus Racing. I'm saying a Racing win, which I don't think anybody's going to argue too much with, apart from maybe English Dan. I probably would, yeah. I'm not going to take anything. Yeah, it's a draw. It's got a draw written in the library. Um, Estudiantes versus Union. Of course, I'm going for an Estudiantes win because he'd have to be insane to. Don't win to nil as well, should he? Yeah. You reckon? Yeah. Okay. We're doing betting tips now. Well, I'm, I've been doing betting tips for the last season and a half, Dan, but thank you for not that. Really no, but not on hand of five. Um, <laughs> you see the strike rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's. <laughs> no, he's, he's gone to pot after. You humiliated me so much, I decided to throw the computer on the floor. Um, <laughs> Godoy Cruz versus Newell's Old Boys. I will go for. I'll edge towards the Newell's win, although my sure. betting, well, I, my betting preview is low goals rather than a result in particular, but I'll say a Newell's win for Hannah Uh Quilmes versus Colón, I'm saying Colón should win away. Boca San Lorenzo, I think it's going to be a draw. And, uh, sorry, two more. Always River Plate, I think River will win that one. And finally, Independiente versus Lanús, if it gets played, because it is at Independiente's home stadium after all. Um, Lanús to win that one. So there are your predictions for this weekend. Anything else to add, gentlemen, before we close up and go for a pizza? No. Um, I would just say, if you can, like, it's worth, it'll be on YouTube at some stage. The special for Maradona was spectacular on Tese. All the channels were doing it, but Tese one was brilliant. There's a great. Uh, I think we'll Zidane. try, maybe one or two of us will probably try retweeting that once we've. At least I will once I've got internet access. Why haven't you got internet access now, Tim? Have I not mentioned it yet, Tom? No, no. <laughs> the electricity in my house has been out oh, for really? some time. Oh, that yeah. sounds quite convenient. Uh, I totally totally I can't have said anything in the last 45 no. minutes about it. <laughs> 
Keep going, Joel. What you said? No, just uh, it's, it's worth seeing. It's, it's got everything. It's got all the fouls, free kicks, nutmegs, and a couple of really good anecdotes from various people being interviewed about. And there's a great one about from Zidane from quite a while, while back, which is worth looking out for. So, did anyone just keep on the subject? Sort of. Did anyone see the Fasioni parody on uh, Shamash? No. Apparently, it's no. My just taken the. Not that I would have been watching so much. Apparently, it's taken Argentina by storm. It's like the first time Shamach is beating Graduaros in the ratings. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, apparently, it's it's worth seeing. The guy, I think it was the day or the day after the Classico. Yeah, I think that makes sense. He just, yeah, it was like a parody parody expert in Argentina came on and did a spot, you know, completely taking the piss out of Fasioni. Sweet. We'll see if we can get that as well. Excellent. Uh, the only other thing to add is just I've been going down the handle pod, uh, Twitter homepage whilst Dan was saying that. And Deep, who is at ANLFC fan, has asked Ed Malian to retweet this appeal to bring forward the Kevin Williams in, uh, inquest. And yeah, we'll just say likewise. Please go to that app and, and retweet that. Who's Kevin Williams? Kevin Williams is one of the men who died at Hillsborough and okay. his mother is now dying of cancer oh. um, having fought all of her life to have the truth known about, about how he died oh, so right, yeah please if you're on Twitter please go, go to that and retweet it um, other than that we will say uh, goodbye for, uh, for this episode it's been slightly shorter than Ed Malian's episodes which just goes to show that with him out of the picture and with Jonathan in the equation we're a much better disciplined more tight just about anything though. absolutely and congratulations Jonathan on lasting almost an entire episode without mentioning Sunderland if you're a relation at least I didn't mention Sunderland my relation no absolutely no, I, I, um, prompted absolutely so, so well done um, I was not going to be really pissed off with that shit there and losing the middle of the fucking couple of <laughs> <laughs> There we go. That, that's the partisan shit that Underpod listeners like to hear. Uh, Jonathan, we, we may or may not welcome you. Uh, well, we'll welcome you if you want to be on. <laughs> but ne- next week, if, if you. No, I don't want guarantees. I would very happily be on next week, Champions League commitments permitting. Absolutely, excellent. Um, you're more than welcome to come to. Assuming I've got totally the feedback back at that point, yeah. you're, totally to come to you're very welcome. Yeah. Um, but for now, it is uh, goodbye from uh, Joel Richards. Goodbye. Goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye and good evening. Goodbye from Mr. Wilson. Goodbye. Goodbye from Zombie, who's now fallen asleep under the table. We hope he's not dead. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.